either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Pretty decent week of releases this week, especially for documentaries. We'll get to those. We'll get to all of them. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And let's start with one in theaters this weekend. The bodyguard, Michael Bryce, continues his friendship with assassin Darius Kincaid as they try to save Darius's wife, Sonia, in the hitman's wife's bodyguard. I need you to protect us. We're trying to have a baby. We need guns, we need boats, and we need them. Are you ready to get your freak on? Now let's go do what we do and blow some things up. I would make a great mother, don't you think I, I think would make you're a great yes. mother? Thank you. It must be your powerful asexuality that makes you such a good listener. Can we just acknowledge that not only are we safe, this really feels like a newbie. The idea here makes sense to me. I thought Selma Hayek was one of the bright spots from the hitman's bodyguard from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, she was in prison and she was she was, she was just very, very funny. So it makes perfect sense that they would make her more of a, a part of the plot for a sequel. Yeah, the original came out in 2017 and you've got uh, the director is back. Patrick Hughes, writer as well, Tom O'Connor, and this will make you happy. I think they're already teasing the third one because early, early box office receipts look pretty good. This is one where people always ask us uh, how much do we disagree about movies, which isn't really often. We do disagree to to some degree on this because uh, I thought it was just a good time. Not a great movie, but a good time. And you were a little less so. I thought it was dumb as hell. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did laugh, yeah. uh, but not as frequently or as heartily as you did. Right. It also, is. I'm less hypnotized by Selma Hayek's cleavage than you are. <laughs> and there's plenty of that in this movie. There is plenty of that. And it's great that as she just travels the globe, they can get those custom fit costumes. <laughs> You know, at a moment's notice. That's fantastic. So, uh, no, I thought it was funny. It is totally ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. Going through the plot is really just a waste of time. But, yeah, this time, as you can tell by the somewhat confusing title, that uh, the bodyguard, Ryan Reynolds, who is trying to get his license back, there's something about him feeling inadequate and not having his license, but he's still bodyguarding the wife, and there's... Something about EU sanctions on Greece, <laughs> which means this evil tycoon played by Antonio Banderas. Because he's so convincing as a Greek. <laughs> he's involved. <laughs> and then you got Morgan Freeman turning up in a very surprising uh, role. So Plus some Frank Grillo. Frank Grillo, that's right. And he's an FBI guy who decides that he he's worth it to team up with the bad guys to catch the worst guys. But yes, it's ridiculous, but... There's plenty of fast-paced action. There's lots of beautiful locales uh, all over the, the globe. and uh, There is a great deal of profanity. There is. <laughs> and some great banter. I mean, as much as you can say that both Reynolds and Sam Jackson, of course. Sam Jackson is back. I haven't even mentioned him. Uh, back is Darius Kincaid. That's a great name. As much as they all seem to be on autopilot because... Ryan Reynolds, this is his shtick, right? Oh, this, yeah. This smart-alecky guy. And, of course, Sam Jackson, the the uh, profanity-laced 
bombastic kind of a personality. That's his. So they might be on autopilot, but they all seem to be having a good time. They do. And the banter is fun. And I think sometimes, yeah, very funny. And uh, it's fast-paced action, and the, and the, the scenery is nice. And the thing about it is, I just I just kept thinking the timing of this is great because right now a lot of people are coming back to the theaters that haven't been to big screen movies in a long, long time. And I think right now they just want to have a good time. And I, I thought this was a good time. Dumb, yes, <laughs> but still a good time. I laughed enough and just you have to just suspend all disbelief, of course, and just and just kind of go with it and, and enjoy the good time. And I thought it was one. I didn't hate it. <laughs> And I laughed. I did. Um, but I, yeah, I just thought it was it was maybe more dumb than I wanted to tolerate. Yeah, by the end you expected, okay, is this when they swap faces and, and <laughs> get into the face-off machine, whatever? But, uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to say it was it was smart in any in any shape or form because <laughs> I, I think it's a, it's a deal where, the, at least some of the people I've been talking to about this movie, first of all, the title just confuses people. The who? The who's what? <laughs> and if the title confuses you, don't even think about the plot because it's 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 just totally ridiculous. Well, but. I mean, and one of the things, and 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 you and I said this early on, is that Salma Hayek and Sam Jackson play a married couple who are having uh, some troubles conceiving. Yeah. So if you can accept that, that the 54-year-old Salma Hayek and 72-year-old Samuel Jackson are playing characters who are not sure why they can't conceive, (laughs) then you can accept anything in the movie. And that's the thing. That's kind of where they go. They're like, you're not, you know what, 20 minutes from now, you're not even going to think that seems unusual. And so, I mean, I want to give it credit for that. And and all three characters are, the three personalities, the actors, they do seem to be having a very good time. And also there are a couple of shots in the film that, for for example, there's one exact frame of a very famous frame from Pulp Fiction where you just are substituting yes. Selma Hayek for John Travolta, which is very funny. And also, of course, to have Antonio Bardot and Selma Hayek in a couple of scenes together recalls yeah. other fun films. And so they do, they have fun with themselves. That They do. It's just very wink, wink. Look, just turn your your brain off a little bit and if you want i keep coming back to this a good time uh back at the movies i think this is a relatively good time this fits the bill <laughs> better time for me <laughs> than you but still we had some fun one of us had some fun with the hitman's wife's bodyguard in theaters now next is the latest from pixar it's set on the italian riviera an unlikely but strong friendship grows between a human being and a sea monster disguised as a human. This is Luca. This is going to be the best summer ever. We'll ride down every road. See the whole world together. It'll be amazing. But there's just one thing. Whoa, 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 wait! Did you see that? No one can find out. <laughs> Where did you boys say you were from? <laughs> now, this is on Disney Plus, and if you already have Disney Plus, well, good, because you don't have to. This one, for this one, you don't have to pay the extra premiere access fee. This is just one. If you have it, you can stream it as much as you like. And it's Pixar, which, again, every time we come back to Pixar, we almost have to start with the fact that it's a catch-22 that they have set the bar so high with their previous films, a lot of their previous films, that when 
the new film maybe doesn't reach that, you kind of think, is it, is it really a disappointment? And that, that's a, I guess it's a good problem to have. But this one is one of those in the middle. It's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It just doesn't hit those heights that we've come to expect from the best of Pixar. Yeah, and and I mean, what does, really? What film of any right, kind... it's kind of unfair. Right, can do as much as Up or Toy Story or Coco, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it is. It is unfair. And it's a lovely film, and it's very, very pretty. It's it set is. in the Italian Riviera, and the blues are so blue, and the Mediterranean Ocean is so beautiful. And, uh, and it's a sweet story, uh, and it's very similar... As you said earlier today, it's as if they took a little mermaid and mm-hmm. turned it into a buddy picture, a buddy comedy. Yeah, you've got these this really the, the one main sea monster um played Luca, uh, voiced by Jacob Tremblay. I love him so much. Yeah, and he befriends another sea monster, Alberto, and he is voiced by Jack Dylan Grazer from uh, It. From It and um and they're both really good. And the thing about these sea monsters is once they get out of the water, Alberto knew this and, and uh, Luca is finding out that once he gets out of the water, in a few seconds, they become human. When they, they dry. They look human, yeah, when they drop. So they can just pass about the, the dry world, the on-land world. So that immediately brings to mind the Part of Your World song right, from The right. Little Mermaid. And, and that's what happens, that Luca starts being a lot more interested in the land world, and that's not good news to his parents, and his parents are voiced by Maya Rudolph and Jim Gaffigan. Very funny. Very funny. So they end up having, eventually they end up looking for him, and they become human too to go follow him as he gets into these adventures with Alberto, and they make a friend, and they make an enemy, and really their their goal, it's, it's funny, their goal in life becomes getting enough money to buy a Vespa. Right, so that they can just travel around on their Vespa and get into yeah. adventures. It's very funny. It's yeah, very sweet. It is, and there's a lot in the Italian culture, and, and as you said, it, it looks fantastic. It does. And it is. It's funny. It's pleasant, but it does. It not only borrows from The Little Mermaid, I also saw a lot of a, of a great animated film from last year called Wolf Walkers. It's got some, some themes in that sure. that, that are, are reminiscent. So you're going to see parts of different movies, and that's it's that's not its... And that's not a terrible thing, but it it hurts this movie in finding really a voice to call its own. Also, I think the the difference between this and and the Little Mermaid or the Wolfwalkers is that the stakes are so low in this. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no life or death. There's no true villainy. There's no like yeah. real lessons learned. It's very lightweight. It's yeah. a very very lightweight film. And it's got a message of embrace who you are, right. which is great. Yeah. But it's one that has been told by many other family films. Uh, and th- again, that's not a bad thing because it's a great message yeah. that kids need to hear. But it just doesn't feel fresh. Feels it feels slight. It does. It feels a little slight. I know we're not the first ones to maybe term this as Pixar light, but that's what it feels like. But it's still, if you've got Disney Plus and you've got some kids, it's a nice, nice adventure, yep. especially if you've got a weekend like we do here in Columbus, Ohio, that's nothing but storms this weekend, right. and you're going to be inside. And if you happen to have maybe a big screen TV, it's going to look really it's good. very pretty. It's going to look... The re- colors are yeah, so gorgeous. Really just... It's just a nice adventure, but not up there. Again, sort of that uh, unfair standard that Pixar has set for themselves. It's not up there with the uh, highest of the highs, but totally nothing wrong in a fine family uh, film coming out on Disney Plus this weekend, Luca. Next is one of four really good documentaries we're going to talk about this week. This is a look at the life and work of Rita Moreno, from her humble beginnings in Puerto Rico to her success on Broadway and in Hollywood. This is Rita Moreno, just a girl who decided to go for it. I think sometimes there are wounds that simply don't heal well. 
She made herself into somebody she wasn't for a very long time. It really hurt her soul to have to play those characters in that way. For the very first time in my life, I felt very useful. She really cares about issues. And then she is just full of you-know-what and vinegar. <laughs> Wear your nationality like a flag. Be proud of it. Be proud you're Puerto Rican. Be proud you're If we thought there was no place for us in this world of the arts that we wanted to get into, we could look up and see Rita and say, OK, well, she could do it. How close can I get? Well, so, of course, Spielberg has remade West Side Story, and it's going to come out later this summer. So it's really, and she's got a part in it. She's got a small part in it. But what a great time to just revisit how utterly glorious Rita Moreno is. Yeah, she's going to be turning 90 years old at the end of this year. And you see a little bit in this documentary uh, backstage filming the remake. And it just brings the entire career full circle. And it's not only a great career, but it's a, a really a great life. And that's, I think, where this documentary scores the most. Because, yeah, even if you're not that, or I guess even if you are familiar with uh, Rita Moreno, you're going to forget. I mean, that's right. She was in that. And then she was in that. I mean, it all goes all the way back to, you know, a small part in Singing in the Rain. And then she had that small part in King and I before the big breakthrough in West Side Story. And then just countless parts in TV and and uh, in films. And, of course, she's won the EGOT. Yep. You know, she's got the Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar, and the Tony. Just an incredible, incredible career. And you have a lot of archival footage, which is great, and a lot of sit-down interviews and praise from admirers. Everyone from, of course, Morgan Freeman, who she co-starred with in The Electric Company. And there's some great footage from them in The Electric <laughs> Company. It is, it's fantastic. And, and people like Eva Longoria and Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's a, a producer mm-hmm. on this film. And that's expected, and that's fine. But what's great is the stories told by Rita herself in personal things that you didn't know. And her struggles coming here, emigrating from Puerto Rico at age five with her mother, and then never seeing... Her family back home again. So she never saw her brother again. Oh, my God. After that. Never saw him again. Yeah. And so the, the obstacles are going to be put in her way just because of being an, an immigrant like that. And then she gets a, uh, a, a contract at the age of 16 to MGM Studios and all the sorts of, you know, the, the sexual harassment that she had to endure and a lot of personal demons, including a suicide attempt and just just a lot of things you may not know about and how she was able to come out of that and reach a place now at age of almost 90, constantly having to obsess her self-awareness and, and get rid of, of things, get rid of the period in her life where all of these just shut up and be sexy roles led her to kind of hate herself. Right. And move past that to just a great place where she's very aware and very comfortable and very fulfilled. And that's nice to see. So the entertainment part of it, the entertainment part of the, the history of her career is very entertaining and all these type and all this archival footage that you see. But also the very personal story that she has is an inspiring story of a performer and uh, as a as an American and just as a human. Yep. So and all in all, if you if you didn't love Rita Moreno before, and who does? I mean, really, who doesn't? Honestly. Yeah. Uh, it's it's going to make you love her even more because she's just a, an incredible talent. And you also get to see a little bit behind her political activism, which is a, a great deal. She's involved in a lot of things behind behind the scenes and a lot of causes. And so there's just a lot to love here. And this one is in theaters, I think, only, It is isn't in theaters, it? yes. Yeah, and it's uh, really, really worth seeing, especially as we get ready for 
the West Side Story remake. And it's so great that she is able to have a part in that. Yeah. Because one of the things you think about when you're watching this, it's just great that we're able to celebrate her life while she's still here. Exactly. You know? Yes. And, and give her the due that she uh, that she deserves while she's still here. So really worth it. Rita Moreno, just a girl who decided to go for it, is out in theaters now. Another documentary in theaters this week is a musical odyssey through five weird and wonderful decades with Ron and Russell Mayle celebrating the inspiring legacy of Sparks. It's the Sparks Brothers. Throughout all the years that I've been making music, if you get on a tour bus with a bunch of musicians, eventually the conversation will go to Sparks. I remember just seeing them all the time, like, who are those guys? They are a band who you can look up on Wikipedia and know nothing. We are Sparks, dude. Please welcome Sparks. Sparks. Frequently asked questions about Sparks. How many albums are there? 25 albums. Are you brothers? We are brothers. How did you first meet? We are brothers. All pop music is rearranged Sparks. That's the truth. So you and I, on occasion, have to just split up and watch two separate movies, and that's what we did in this case. So I did not see this one, and you did not see the next one we were going to talk about. It's a little bit unusual because this is an Edgar Wright film, and it has had so much buzz because it's an Edgar Wright film. And to be honest with you, I don't know who this band is. <laughs> yeah, it's that's sort of the, the tagline of this. They're saying, how can a band be so well-loved and so influential and yet so unknown. And I have to say, I first became aware of Sparks because of the Paul McCartney video from 1980 for Coming Up. Do you remember when he played all those different parts? And in in the video, he dresses almost each uh, character he plays, he dresses like some famous musician. And at the time, when it came out, I was able to easily identify a lot of them, except when he's dressed up as Ronald Mayle from Sparks. He's got the little Hitler mustache. I'm like, who's this guy? So I, at the time, I had to kind of look it up, and I found out who he was. I still didn't know the band at all until they had the, probably their biggest hit on the charts, at least the singles charts, with uh, Cool Places with Jane Wheedland from Go-Go's. But they have so much more music that and, and such a uh, devoted following including Edgar Wright. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, he gives this his usual visual panache. Nice. I mean, as the two brothers are talking, he just throws in all these different visual cues to just kind of highlight the conversation. And it's just such a love letter. It's like he just pulled you aside at a bar like you, who don't know anything <laughs> about Sparks, and uh-huh. said, sit down. I want to <laughs> tell you why I love this band so much, and I'm going to bring all these other people that feel the same way I do, including a couple of your boys from Duran Duran, uh, John Taylor, and then the little one. So how is it possible that you watched this movie two days ago and this is the first that you're bringing to my attention that John Taylor is in it? Nick <laughs> we, Rhodes, by the way, okay. is the little one. We've been busy. but uh, <laughs> So they're in it, and then the people from um, Erasure and Sonic Youth and Red Hot Chili Peppers and uh, Todd Rundgren, who produced their first album when they were called uh, Half Nelson, uh, he's he's in it. All these people, much like the Rita Moreno one, you've got these people just loving these performers and giving them their due. It's just that in this case, this musical act is not as well known. But then you see the tremendous success they've had, especially overseas and all these periods that they go through and these different albums. And they're funny guys. They're funny guys with a different 
just way of looking at things. And even if you don't know anything about them, I think you'll be glad you got to know them. Now, I admit their music is not really my bag. So it's not a, a, a deal where I'm going to go out and download a bunch of their music because I'm not. I do like cool places. I still do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the radio station I work for, we do play the song sometimes. But, but it's still very entertaining, and it's really cool to uh, get to, to know this band and find out why they're so well-loved. And Edgar Wright makes it move, because it's about two hours and 20 minutes, I think. Wow. I know. But uh, Edgar Wright is such a skillful director in making things just jump, even just conversation like this, and making it very visually interesting and so that it moves around, and by the end of it, it's just another it's just another good time, and it's really worthwhile. Of course, if you're a fan, a fan of Sparks, you're gonna you're gonna really be interested in this. But even if you're not, I think you'll find it. Uh, I think you'll find it worthwhile. And it is in theaters. Yes, it is right now, and has a lot of good. Not just the band, but this movie has a lot of buzz around it too. So it's called the Sparks Brothers. Let's keep the documentaries rolling. The work, lives, and personal journeys of two iconic American artists coalesce with creative combustion in this innovative dual portrait documentary. It's called Truman and Tennessee, An Intimate Conversation. Why do writers fall in and out of friendship with each other? So well, jealousy, don't you think? Most people think because somebody is a creative individual, they must be intelligent. It is not so, like Tennessee Williams. Capote's a liar, and everyone knows he is. It really was a sort of intellectual friendship, though people inevitably thought otherwise. Now, I don't care what anybody says about me as long as it isn't true. I'm talking too intimately to you. Let's get on to something more general. <laughs> so this is the one I watched while you were watching the Sparks Brothers. Right. And it was fascinating. It's such an interesting and, and kind of unique idea because you, except for a couple of maybe just two or three snapshots, you never see the two writers together. That's interesting. But they talk about each other a lot. And not always very politely, which is fascinating. Yeah. So the way they structure this story is to kind of to point out to to an audience how the careers of these two just magnificent giants in literature parallel each other and intersect and how the the two writers have similarities in who they are and what they draw on and how the audience how the the public perceived them and how that perception shifted over the years you know it, and it was just so fascinating because it's also very catty which <laughs> which suits particularly Truman Capote yeah yeah i can see that and this was not directed by Edgar Wright but I was glad to see it's directed by Lisa Imordino Vreeland, who directed a documentary about her grandmother, Diana Vreeland, right. years ago that I love. Oh, yeah. They're called The Eye Has to Travel, and that was great. It was really nice to see her having a chance to do this and give another sort of different type of take on two very well-known figures. Yeah, icons of an era. And it's funny because in a lot of ways, they're very different types of people. Of course, Tennessee Williams was much more kind of a softer personality, kind of a, a gentler human being. Yeah, you can see how Truman Capote, he he more sought the spotlight. Yes. But they still had a tremendous amount in common. And the 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 film is mainly 
glimpses of two of the two of them in different interviews separately talking about things that are very similar which is their writing style and what influenced their writing and and talking about some of their their most important works and then also talking about each other so when they talk about themselves you can see whether they knew it or not how much they had in common mm-hmm. and then when they talk about each other it can be very tender and in the next moment it's so mean <laughs> <laughs> and it's just and uh, and really shortly before Tennessee Williams died they had a they they sort of got back together and and hung out and had a lovely dinner together and so it, the whole arc of the film is very is really really interesting and then of course a lot of it is also just voiceover of mainly their letters uh, either to each other or to other people about each other mm-hmm. as read by uh, Jim Parsons reads the Truman Capote part and Zachary Quinto reads Tennessee Williams and they both do a wonderful job I mean they really get into the spirit of the individual writers it's a fascinating really funny and but very insightful um, documentary about just two of the greatest writers of all time. You know, even just watching the trailer reminded me of a lot of times people throw out, especially now on Facebook, they'll throw out, who, living or dead, would you like to have dinner with? You know, what, either of these guys might not be a bad choice. Oh, I'm with you. And this is Truman in Tennessee, an intimate conversation. Is this one also in theaters right now? It is in theaters and on VOD. Okay, very cool. So are we done with the documentaries? We are not. This one looks at the career of musician Brian Wilson. It's called Brian Wilson, Long Promised Road. What's your process like? Process? Yeah. Start with a background track. Mm-hmm. Then you do the background vocals. Then you do the leads. Okay. Like we'll do today. How do you feel about spending a few days with your band? I think it'd be nice to be back with them, you know? It's about time we all recorded like this. And we are here. I'm nervous. It's like you say when you go on stage, nervous for about two minutes. Right, and then as soon as I hear California Girls, I'm cool. You got this. So here is another one where, what an interesting approach, and one that really pays off because it suits the subject in a very strange way. Yeah, the story of Brian Wilson, the Beach Boys, has been told a lot. Legendary career, legendary musician and producer, uh, but it, most people know that he's had some mental health problems along the way. This documentary points out that he started hearing voices at the age of 21 and still hears them today, but is able to uh, get things under control and is still creative. And this takes an approach of making him feel as comfortable as possible because it lets you know that one of the things that his condition leads, it leads him to be fearful of things and get uncomfortable. And one of the things that makes him uncomfortable is sit down formal interviews. So they don't do that here. What they do is let the tour guide sort of be journalist Jason Fine, who has worked for Rolling Stone magazine and a bunch of other publications. And over the years and many conversations, he has earned Brian Wilson's trust. So what they do is they just have basically a carpool conversation. They go around, they got a dashboard camera and just drive around his old Brian Wilson's old stomping grounds in California and talk about his career and his life while Brian Wilson asked Jason Fine to cue up different songs in the car. And that's very charming. And he just comes across as just a dear, sweet soul, uh, just almost totally free of ego, but still respectful of what he and the band accomplished. And it's a fascinating conversation, again, like... Like the Rita Moreno story, you see some great archival footage, and you, you take get that whole tour through the Beach Boys history. And a lot of times, they they drive past actual landmarks that are now standing uh, tributes to uh, the band. 
And so you get that, but then you also hear from Bruce. Brian, Brian Wilson. Well, Bruce is one. You hear from a lot of uh, admirers, a lot of musician admirers. Of course, the, the list of musicians admiring Brian Wilson is long and uh, varied. And so you, you hear them give him the, the due, but that we've seen that before. That the chance to hear him talk about it now and go through his process as, you, as he talks about his process in the studio, and then you see some of this footage from back in the day with the Wrecking Crew and then and even in today in the studio. So uh, if especially if you're a fan, as I am, a, a huge fan, I mean, what he did with some of those Beach Boys records is still just incredible. In fact, one of the best sequences in the movie is producer Don Was listening to the master tracks of God Only Knows, one of my favorite songs in the world, and isolating them and just saying to the camera, look, I've been making records for 40 years. I have no idea what he's doing here. And just <laughs> the, the respect for his, his musicianship and how he was one of the first to be able to use the studio as an entirely different instrument is, is just incredible. So it's, it's a great journey and uh, a real touching journey. <laughs> Talk about him having not having an ego. One of the things that makes him comfortable is going back to this one diner in his area that he likes. And as they're leaving, he spots Vanna White, and he just runs over to her. Hi, I'm Brian Wilson. <laughs> and it's just charming. He just comes off as that kind. of just a dear, a dear man with a legendary career and a great story to tell. And this one is on VOD uh, right now. It's called Brian Wilson, Long and Promised Road. Long Promised Road. Moving away from the docks, this is a horror mystery thriller. A brother and sister stumble upon their father's secret. One year after his death, they soon learn that this secret may not be his alone. This is just called Woe. What were you building back there? Russ, I think I'm seeing things that aren't real, man. Who says it isn't real? Follow me, will you? You followed here! Do you know who lives around here? Yeah. How come Uncle Angels? Do you know where that is? This is our family. We are. Come on. Just look at me. Come on. I'm gonna get you out of here, alright? I'm gonna get you out of here. Close it! Close it! Goddammit! Close it! And by woe, it's W-O-E, yes. <laughs> not, not Keanu Reeves. Whoa. <laughs> no, that's not this. No, it is not. And this one, you know, it's fascinating. It's a, it's a, it's a low-budget indie thriller, and, uh, and, and it's really well-made, and it's one of those films that sort of right off the bat, you can tell there's something seriously amiss, and it takes its time unveiling what all of that is. I found it uh, a really fascinating movie. Sad. Um, very well acted, uh, quirky. You know, it's it's got uh, a lot going for it, but it's one of those uh, recent year horror films that is particularly preoccupied with what we inherit from our family, mm -hmm. hereditary. We've seen that lately. Yeah. Yes, and 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 I really like the way that it approaches it. Um, it keeps the metaphor very solid, very sound. And the performances are great. This is the feature debut for writer-director Matthew Goodhue. So he's done some shorts before, but this is his first feature. So definitely a nice start. Yes, yeah. And this one is available. This is a bargain, bargain for VOD, just $3.99 on Prime. So definitely worth taking a look at. Whoa. And one more, another great documentary. Boy, this is a good week. 
for documentaries. A black teenager bravely challenges the most powerful white supremacist in 1960s Louisiana with the help of a young Jewish attorney. Systemic racism meets its match in decisive courtroom battles, including the U.S. Supreme Court, and a lifelong friendship is born in a crime on the bayou. Each time we lost a round of the case, Duncan was rearrested, put in prison overnight. It was all fixed. How do you prove that this system is racist at its very core? Claude McKay wrote, if we must die, let it not be like hogs pinned in an inglorious spot. In other words, we're going to fight like men. I'm going to die defending myself. Kat McAlpine reviewed this one for us, and you can find her written review on madwolf.com, and she just loved it. And it's one of those movies that... You're so infuriated. You're so frustrated. And at the same time, it's very hopeful. And uh, and it's always great to see anything like this where you just cannot believe what's going on. And in right. the end, justice is served. But the other thing I think that it points out is how slow justice can be incoming. Yeah, especially when the systemic, well, when the oppression is so systemic yeah. and you have these monster institutions to overcome that are so stacked against you. First of all, the story just makes you, just fills you full of rage. It does. And then you just can't believe, yeah, I'm just sitting here mad about it. Can you believe the man, the man that had to live through this? Yeah. Yeah. And they actually get it done, as, as Kat points out in her uh, review, they get it done quickly. This is just an hour and a half and uh, it really gets in and gets out and tells the story and makes you appreciate just what went on. But as you said, leave you with a sense of hope. Yes. And yeah. It's, it's well worth checking out. Yeah, and this is writer and director Nancy Bursky. So this is another great uh, documentary, all of them worth seeing this week. And if you want to check out Kat's full review, you can find that at madwolf.com. And A Crime on the Bayou is also available on VOD right now. All right, here comes the jingle, so let's head off to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. All right, we're back in the lobby with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. The Schlocketeer, and uh, he won't be with us next week going on vacation, so you got to make it extra good this week. What's up? <laughs> All right, I'll do my best. Right, on July 16th, Neon will release the Nicolas Cage thriller Pig, which will see Nicolas Cage as a reclusive truffle hunter in Oregon whose prize-hunting pig has been kidnapped. <laughs> that, has to get it back. That's a project <laughs> that has Cage written all over it. Right. <laughs> then on uh, July 23rd, Roadside Attraction, Mark Wahlberg starring biographical drama Joe Bell will be arriving in theaters. And late this summer, Warner Brothers Animation will release Mortal Kombat Legends Battle of the Realm, which is, I guess, their follow-up to last year's Mortal Kombat Legends Scorpion's Revenge. So cartoon carnage, basically. <laughs> Then on November 11th, we will see the theatrical release of Sylvester Stallone's brand new director's cut of Rocky IV. Director's so cut. Coming out in theaters, and then it'll probably hit uh, HBO Max early next year. Is this going to be a, like a four-hour uh, epic? I'm not sure. The only thing I, I believe I heard that he cut out the stuff with Polly's robot. But beyond that, I'm not really <laughs> sure what the differences are. Okay. All right, sure. On uh, November 27th, Netflix is premiering Robin Robin, which is the latest from Ardman Animations. Uh, this one's a little different for them. Instead of being the usual claymation, the characters are apparently stop-motion animated felt puppets. And then moving away from dates, Blumhouse is continuing 
their journey into Stephen King territory. They're already shooting a new adaptation of Firestarter right now. And this past week, they announced that Brian Fuller is going to tackle a new take on Christine for them. I saw so that. that will turn out well. And then uh, this one's for Hope. NGM just announced yesterday that they're making a modern-day set Blackula sequel that's set in a post-pandemic metropolitan city. We were talking about this one second before we uh, got on the phone with you because I was excited to get a chance to see what you thought. I'm very excited. Neither of us are super thrilled about the director, but other than that, I mean, I couldn't be happier. Yeah, I've seen a couple of the director's films. It He seems to be fine. It very much seems to be a case of uh, whatever material he's saddled with. So hopefully the script's in good shape. And that he well actually he's done a pretty good job of getting uh decent cast members for his movies so far it's just that they haven't turned out all that well yeah boy william marshall is going to be that those are hard shoes to fill yeah yeah very much so and then my last one for you legendary i just wanted to talk about legendary entertainment's remake of the toxic avenger and the cast members that they keep piling up for that thing they've got kevin bacon and elijah wood as the villains Jacob Tremblay is playing Toxie's son, and Peter Dinklage is in it, and as far as I know, he is playing the Toxic Avenger himself. And all this is being written and directed by Macon Blair, so I'm not sure what to make of, a, of this thing. Hopefully it's as weird as it sounds. I'm giddy. I'm honest with you. I, I, I am so excited about this. I can't remember the last time I was so excited about a remake of any kind of movie. And it, it is. It, well, Macon Blair, amazing, but also that cast is just insane. Yeah, it, it's insane. And I know they've added a couple of uh, smaller names since then, but it's people from you know, movies like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and a couple of other mm. prestige dramas. So they're, they're really, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a couple of... Uh, you know, B-movie actors in there at some point, but they're really pulling from the prestige into the pool on this one, and that's, it's kind of throwing me for a loop. Uh, yeah, definitely sounds interesting. Well, hey, uh, enjoy your time off. You can always find uh, Daniel at the Schlocketeer on Twitter for all the latest news, but enjoy it, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. All right, sounds good. See you then. Looking ahead to next week, oh, it's number nine in the Fast and Furious franchise. You want to talk about ridiculous. <laughs> Can't wait to see F9. <laughs> We have already seen Werewolves Within, and I look forward to talking about that. Yeah, I look forward to it for sure. Also, False Positive. I Carry You With Me. Lansky. And Too Late. All right, so we'll see what else pops up. I bet a few things. They always do, and we'll talk about them next week. But in the meantime, what do you think? You agree more with me about the hitman's wife's bodyguard or Hope? One of these few times when we kind of disagree, but as usual, it's in a matter of degrees, yeah. I think, on this yeah. one. But uh, And any of the great documentaries this week, man, they're all worth watching. So uh, let us know if you watched any of those and what you thought. Always keep the conversation going. Easy way to do that is find us on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club, you can find us at madwolf.com. So keep in touch if you can. Until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.